Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Good day, everyone. Welcome to Locked On ACC for Wednesday, February 12th, 2020. I am Brian Wilmer of FB Schedules and College Hoops Digest. I'm your host for the program. Please feel free to tweet us at LockedOnACC. Email us, LockedOnACC at gmail.com. Let's go ahead and get right into it. I got kind of cold-taked a little bit, although to be fair, it wasn't completely all because I had a bad take. I mentioned yesterday on this program about Syracuse and matching up better against NC State than... Anyway, you remember that from yesterday. I got dragged for that a little bit. To be fair... It's kind of tough to expect Syracuse to be able to match up well against NC State without their best player, that being Elijah Hughes. Syracuse fell last night to NC State, 79-74. We'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. But first, the words of Syracuse coach Jim Beheim. So we didn't know until he started that he couldn't go. And uh, I thought everybody did an unbelievable job. They battled... uh, You know, Quincy had to play a lot of minutes, which he's not used to. He did a really good job. I thought that... uh, you know, we're not making shots at the three-point line. We're making twos, but we're really just not – we're not making enough shots at the three-point line, and that's something that is important for us to win these kind of games. But I thought these guys battled as hard as you could ask them to battle. Uh, Joe made some really big plays to keep us in it. Um, Marek got some opportunities. He just – he's just not finishing the way he can. But – when you lose your best player, one of the three or four best players in the league, without being able to practice, it's, it's difficult. But they did everything they could. We got right back in it. NC State shot. They made 11 threes out of 25. That's pretty hard to do. And I thought our defense was overall was pretty good. But that was the difference in the game. Questions? How much notice did you really have? I mean, when did you when play? Out? When he played. When he started the game. Coach, you said you've been kind of not hard on Quincy, but you've been saying he needs to be better. What he, he's, still, he's getting better. He's got to be better. He, he ran out of gas. The last 10 minutes, he was he disappeared. I think, he, you know, he just hasn't played that much. I think he got tired. But he was really good for the first 30 minutes of the game. Really good. And, again, I want the best from him. I want more from him, and I think there's more there. How much experience, maybe even in practice, did the guys have playing 5-on-5 without Elijah on the court? Well, not much. <laughs> not much. They did a good job. I mean, we, they were very good today for not having him. I mean, exceptionally good. How much does what you ch- ask of Joe change? Well, we, we just put the ball in his hands. Him and Marek, we put the ball in their hands more. And Joe got it going. He was really good. I mean, he's playing against good defensive players. And he really, uh, he just, he kept us in the game. He kept us in the game. He just can't make his threes. I mean, he, he had a great game. Obviously, he had a great game. But... You know, he's one for ten from the three-point line. He can make those. You know, I mean, that's, he got, you know, sometimes he rushes them. Really, I think his ten, I think there was maybe one tough three. The rest were shots he can make. But, you know, we, did, had, we, we decided to go with him, you know, more without Elijah, which is the normal thing. They did a good job on Buddy. They were pressuring him, and he got off balance, uh, wasn't getting good looks. When he got in the lane, he got some, but he was getting hit. You know, they don't call any of that stuff. They just call it on the other end. But 
you know, we battle hard. Hopefully we get Elijah back. We'll see. We don't know what's going to happen with him, so we won't know until probably Saturday uh, whether he'll be able to go. But, you know, just things like that it happens. It's unusual. I've never had a player in 44 years get hurt in the warm-ups, but first time for everything, I guess. Uh, disappointing. Disappointing. He's a team that pressure. I don't, I don't even know something down there. But anyway, it's a perfect game for him. They're a pressure team, and that's where he thrives. So very disappointing not have him tonight. Thank you. So if you're going to talk about a player's injury, it's kind of funny. They started asking for specifics and whether it was thigh or groin and his response was Bayheim's was, I don't know, something down there. Also noticed the subtle dig at the officials there, which uh, Jim's kind of famous for those. A couple of thoughts on Syracuse's performance last night. It's, it's tough to go out there, as he mentioned, without Elijah Hughes. Joe Girard, 30 points for Syracuse, played 38 minutes, 9 of 22, but as Beheim mentioned one of 10 from three, 11 of 12 from the line. Dolajai, 13, right behind uh, Quincy Guerrier, 16. You also heard a lot of mention about Quincy in that presser, talking about Quincy Guerrier. Elijah Hughes started, played three minutes. Guerrier played 37. Guerrier, 6 of 12 from the field, 4 of 7 from the line. 16 points, 10 boards, although he did disappear a bit, as Beheim mentioned. Still a pretty impressive performance. Also, Buddy Beheim with 10 for the Orange. The big problems, 3 of 18 from 3, 1 of 10 from Girard, and you see that for Syracuse, and you think, well, hmm. We were without our best player. We had a couple of guys have kind of off nights, or at least off portions of nights, and still only lost by five. There's some stuff to look at there that's a positive. On the other side... You give up 42 to Daniels and Bryce, that's a bit of a problem. NC State also with Helms with 10. NC State shot 64.3% from the line, if you want to look at things to be concerned about for them. However, they did shoot 52.1 from the field, 25 of 48 for the pack. Another big thing, if you're looking at kind of crooked numbers, and you hear coaches talk about crooked numbers all the time, Syracuse turned the ball over 15 times versus just 7 assists. Those 15 turnovers turned into 23 points for NC State. State had 21 points in transition, 21 points off the bench, 26 points in the paint. Conversely, you look at NC State turning the ball over 16 times, that only led to 12 Syracuse points. The middle of the ACC is as jumbled as I can recall it in a long while, and we'll get into that in a little bit more detail here in just a second. And of course, it would help if we knew a little bit more about Elijah Hughes, but still a tough loss for Syracuse. Still a little bit of room for them to have a tiny margin of error, as our good friends over at Noon's Magician pointed out earlier today, but not much. Saw something earlier today on Twitter taking the current Ken Palm standings and projecting them into an ACC tournament bracket. Just a brief look at that. The first game in Greensboro would match... The 12th-seeded Virginia Tech Hokies, the 13th-seeded Wake Forest Demon Deacons. More on Wake in a bit. Second game on Tuesday, Georgia Tech and Miami. And the third game, Clemson, North Carolina. I was talking about this last night. Can you actually envision a world in which Carolina could get bounced from the tournament on Tuesday in Greensboro? It's possible. Wednesday, Pitt BC kicking off that day as currently stands. 
The Virginia Tech Wake winner would play NC State. The Georgia Tech Miami winner would play Notre Dame. The Clemson Carolina winner would play Syracuse. And then, as we know, Louisville right now projected to be the number one seed, Duke two, Florida State three, Virginia four. Kind of setting up nicely for the possibility of Virginia getting back to a semifinal. But, as we've seen in this league, nothing seems to make sense. Mentioned we would talk about Wake in just a minute, and we'll do that right after we take our first break of the program. Come back, talk Wake Carolina, Virginia Notre Dame, and much, much more. You're listening to Locked On ACC. Welcome back to Locked On ACC, February 12th, 2020. I am Brian Wilmer. I'm at Sports Matters on Twitter. I'm your host. Quick uh, news notes. It was just announced, courtesy of the legendary Mike Barber, that the University of Virginia will be participating via an alumni team in the TBT over the summer. You're all familiar with the TBT and the concept of that tournament. Some of the players announced to be on the roster, Sean Singletary, J.R. Reynolds, Akil Mitchell, and Darian Atkins. I'll take that. We'll see much more on the TBT as time approaches. A lot of ACC participation in the TBT. It's a fun event. I've gotten the chance to cover one of our local teams here in South Carolina who has been in the TBT for several years, and their story is an incredible one, but I won't go into it on this program. Mentioned we would talk about Carolina and Wake, and good grief, what a game that was. Carolina goes to Wake, loses by 17 points. And uh, as you might imagine, Roy, not so happy about what transpired. I told the team I was tired of coming to press conferences like this. I told them I was tired of coming in here and apologizing. And, uh, all those things, but the bottom line is Wake Forest uh, had more want to out there today. More effort, more enthusiasm, better coaching. Everything that was involved in the course of the game, they had it better than we did. I was not pleased with the way we played the first half at all. Three or four things that we've uh, done in practice and specifically said we're going to do a certain way, we failed to do that. Some way, somehow, I've got to get the guys to do a better job of what I asked them to do. They've got to do a better job of little things. And then I think that uh, uh, we'd have a better chance. Wake Forest struggling, North Carolina struggling, and I'm never going to say it's a pretty game because uh, the way we play today, we, the other team can't be pretty. Uh, but Danny and his staff did a nice job. Uh, uh, I thought Childers did a great job of running their club. Uh, first half, White was three for three from three-point line. One of our uh, keys to the game was making him put the ball on the floor, and he was still three for three. Uh, one for 16 from three-point line for us is not going to be good for you. Uh, I was really proud of Garrison. He's gotten poked in the right eye three times, has a scratched cornea three different times this year, all three times in the right eye. I made decision during warm-ups to try to play him. Uh, scared to death that I was going to hurt him. Uh, Doug, our trainer, kept saying I wasn't going to hurt him. It's just uh, he had no pain. He just had one problem. Couldn't see very well. It's hard to be a really good basketball player if you can do that. But I was proud of Garrison and uh, not proud of myself and anybody else. Okay? Did you have a similar sense tonight that you did before the Georgia Tech game? No. Uh, 
It's been so many of them this year, I can't remember what kind of sense I had freaking yesterday. Uh, usually I can remember every game you lose and tell you all about it, but uh, we haven't come to play enough uh, this year to make those a, a small number. Roy, you mentioned the, the lack of want to and effort. Is that the thing that you were most dissatisfied well, Guys, with? I've been mad all year long. we got to play harder. we got to play smarter. we got to play harder. you got to play smarter. And uh, I thought that Wake Forest had more of a, a purpose. Uh, you know, they set the screen roll twice. We sort of jog back, and they throw it to the guy. He lays it up. And uh, uh, but that's that's my job. I got to get them to play harder. And why do you think they started out as slow? Pardon? as they did? Why do you think they started out as slow as they if did? If I did that, it's sure as hell one thing we wouldn't start out that way. And I apologize, Jonathan, but right now uh, we're there's a reason. What are we? Ten and there's a reason. One of the biggest reasons is that we're not playing hard enough. I'm not getting them to play hard enough. How would you assess the way that Cole played tonight? Not very well. Roy, how, how much of what happened Saturday night do you think carried over? To I don't know, guys. You know, it's for the psychologists to figure out. I mean, I wanted to win today more than I wanted to win Saturday. You know why? Because it's today's game. you got to put all that crap behind you. I, Told you guys a hundred times if I had to do over again, I wouldn't major in health and physical education. I major in psychology. See if I could figure out what the hell was going on better. But uh, Saturday's game was Saturday's game. It was over with. I tried. I watched it three times, trying to see if the result changed. It never changed one freaking time. Not at one damn thing we do about that. You got to play today's game. And guys, I apologize. Shoot, I'm probably being short with it and everything. Uh, but uh, I'm not real happy. Was there an incident behind the bench? Uh, yeah, and I shouldn't. Some guy yelled something. I mean, I said something about our player that was hurt. Yeah. And so, you know, that's what it bothered me. He yelled at me, and they yell at me all the time. You know, I live by it, but I didn't want him. I didn't understand what he was talking about. Was, Harrison was down on the ground and getting him out of the game. He had stitches put in his mouth. I mean, guys, he couldn't see him. He had stitches put in his mouth, too. So I was not too pleased with that, but it's being stupid on my part to even listen to somebody say something like that. The words of North Carolina coach Roy Williams. One thing that kind of jumped out to me from what was said there, the question was asked about how would you assess how Cole played, Cole Anthony. His response was not very well. You look at Carolina's box scorer, Anthony and Christian Keeling tied to lead the Tar Heels with 15 apiece. However, Anthony... 5 of 19 from the field, 0 of 6 from 3. He had 6 rebounds, also had 7 turnovers. So, tough night for Cole Anthony, tough night for the Tar Heels. Armando Baycott also contributed 10 for North Carolina. They had 40 rebounds, but, as you heard, they were 1 of 16 from 3. Interesting night for Danny Manning on the other side. Let's hear what he had to say. Yeah, I thought the momentum that we created in the first half um, gave us a lot of energy and a lot of juice going into halftime. Um, we shot the ball at a, a really high clip. We made some tough shots. Um, we shared the ball, and there was great ball movement. Um, you know, in the second half, um, not as much. We struggled from the field, so to speak, in terms of our shooting percentage and number of makes. We had some open looks we didn't knock down, but, you know, Carolina's a very talented team, and they were going to make runs. And um, we knew going into it we wanted to try to limit their fast break opportunities and their second chance opportunities. And, um we didn't limit their second chance opportunities enough because they had 17 offensive rebounds. So, but that's that's part of you know who they are and, and what they've done for an extremely long time. Danny, after uh, 
tough week last week with two road losses that just had leads in the second half in both of them. Was it good to see you guys hang on there in the second half when they made their run? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, that's something we've been talking about. Um, and the guys have been talking about it, and that's what they were saying to themselves when they were in the, each timeout coming down the stretch of the game, reminding each other of what we all needed to do to uh, make sure we got the outcome that we wanted. Danny, you mentioned ball movement. Was that the biggest thing that you think maybe ran, made the offense run as, as well as it did in that first half? That's part of it. But, I mean, when you shoot, you know, 55% from the field, that, that's it too. You know, we can have all the ball movement in the world, but if you're not making shots, it it doesn't help, you know, other than kill time off the clock. <laughs> As somebody who grew up in this state, what does it mean to you to finally beat North Carolina? Excited. I mean, I'm, 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 we're always happy to win an ACC game. I think whenever you can, you know, you play one of the big four schools, you always want to get that win as well. Um, we're happy with the win, and we wanted to hopefully create some more momentum for us as we continue to uh, close out our season. And um, we feel like the energy from this game, I thought the crowd was great. I thought our students were really good. Um, it got really loud for that chicken sandwich again. So that's a, a good deal for us. We're always happy to win an ACC game. When did you ever think you would hear that in a presser talking about beating North Carolina? But that's where we are. One thing that Danny pointed out there, he talked about wanting to limit second chance opportunities, and transition opportunities. Carolina had 12 fast break points. He mentioned the 17 offensive rebounds, but those 17 offensive rebounds only turned into 13 second chance points. So while they didn't limit second chance opportunities, they did limit second chance conversions to a degree. Andrian White, you heard Roy Williams talk about his starting three for three from beyond the arc. He finished four of 10 but led the Deeks with 15 points. Brandon Childress, a double-double, 14 points, 10 dimes. The Deeks had 14 dimes as a team. Childress had 10 of them. And Shawnee Brown had 11 for Wake Forest. Manning also brought up shooting 56% in the first half. He said 55, but it was 56. They were 15 of 27 in the first half, 8 of 27 in the second half. They finished 23 of 54, 42.6% to the Deeks. One other game in the ACC last night, and good grief, what a crazy game, finish, uh, however you want to label it. 3-2 overtime, I mentioned last night as I was watching the game, Virginia had arguably the worst final possession in Tony Bennett's tenure. They still managed to win the game somehow, 50-49 to over Notre Dame. A lot of the things that I would touch on, Tony Bennett did touch on in his postgame presser, here are his thoughts. Mooney on that final possession, and what did you tell your guys in the timeout before that? Yeah, well, I mean, there we thought there would be a, a high ball screen um, with him. We made a sub um, and just said, you know, try not to foul, make them earn. They do some good stuff. They'll sometimes do a dribble handoff because they had enough time to do a few things. They'll keep on dribble handoffs. They fake a dribble handoff and go. It's just, you know, in that spot, just don't give anything too easy at the rim. Um, make them hit a tough shot and... You know, they threw a little drift pass in the corner. But, um, you know, we <laughs> we missed free throws. We had some key turnovers down the stretch. They missed some open shots. Um, but we'll take it. <laughs> and that's, you know, and we, we did fight and we battled um, and came up with a, a, a tough win. Both teams have been playing well and I think are trending in the right direction. You know, maybe we didn't play as well tonight. 
uh, but both teams are, are have been winning and you know on a on a good trend. So that was uh, two teams that were had some momentum and you know home court got us one. Tony, the, their final possession of the regulation with the when you had the fouls to give. Yep. Um, it sounds like an easy thing, but how well did Kihei kind of execute? What did a great job. Wanted? Yeah, you're just trying because you know one you're thinking, you know, keep fouling so they gotta take it out, and you're like, boy, if they hit something, you know, you you want to be able, or if they get something and you need to put them in the bonus so you get the chance. Um, so it was kind of both end. We were thinking about that, but it was really more just to make him take it out, make him take it out, and he did a good job. We just made sure there's six fouls, no more fouls at the end, and uh, it was, um, you know, like I said, uh, quite an ending. Uh, it was a brief, but uh, Jay Huff stretch there. Uh, yeah. Would you have won without that? That was a great stretch, and we, we had another three coming for him, and we, we turned it over at a crucial time, but um, I thought he took a you know a, a good step uh, tonight. He's been doing some real good stuff, but uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, whether it was a drive or a play, I, I was really pleased. And you know when you you play in overtime and first to fifty wins, someone said um, you, every point matters. You know Casey gave us a, a lift. He really did. He he had a couple of five points, a three, and a couple buckets, and defend it well. Uh, we need it. Um, we need it all. Thomas obviously shot it so well last game and wasn't. Is, is efficient tonight. So Braxton was off, but Braxton had 13 rebounds, and it was just kind of find a way. And that's sort of been the, the storyline for us all year in these games. We're getting um, very tight down the stretch, and it's can you make plays? Or in this case, I don't know if we made plays. We just got a couple of stops, or they missed. You got to, I don't know how to look at it, but we'll take it. Uh, Coach, your last offensive possession of the game, you know, Kia had that three. Was that the play you were looking for? Did you we, want to go through him? Yeah, I wanted to just spread it out, and I, I kind of wanted him to attack and see if he could draw. You know, the play before he, he attacked, and I think they, they swiped it from behind, but I wanted something aggressive, but it was to open up the court and attack. That was the plan. Um, and, look, Kihei, as I said, 45 minutes, a lot on his plate. He made some big plays. Um, I told him, in a way, I'm glad what happened, you know, he missed it. And it was an air ball, but the fact that it hit the out-of-bounds line at least let us set our defense up. Sometimes it's better to, to miss bad. <laughs> you know, if you're going to miss, miss bad so that they can't get on the move because they can get down the floor and do some stuff. When you say we'll take it twice, and it's over a three-and-a-half-minute span, that pretty much tells you all you need to know about that game. You also heard the commentary there about Kihei Clark on the last possession. When you say at least... If you missed it, it missed badly, and it hit the out-of-bounds line. All right. Prentice Hub had 12 for Notre Dame last night. John Mooney, another double-double, 11 points, 14 boards. Nate Leshesky, 11 for the Irish. They shot 32.8% from the field, 23.1 from three. Only went to the line seven times and hit three of them. That'll haunt you a little bit. <laughs> Seems as though we can't talk about free-throw shooting enough on this program. Mamdi Diakite, 20 points. The only Cav in double figures. Braxton Key, 3 points, 12 rebounds. Jay Huff, 8 points, 9 boards. Virginia shot 37.3%, 25% from 3. Just a rough game to watch. It really was. And granted, both of these teams are still trending upward, as Tony said. But that's just a rough game to watch. Three games on the slate tonight. BC at Miami, 7 o'clock. Miami minus 4 for the last place team in the ACC, the home favorite. That a regional broadcast. Louisville at Georgia Tech over ACC Network. That an 8 o'clock start. Louisville minus 5 in Atlanta. 
And 9 o'clock, again, a regional broadcast. Clemson at Pittsburgh, Pitt minus 3.5. That's your slate for the evening. Let's go ahead and take the final break of the program. We'll come back, talk about commentary toward student-athletes. You're listening to Locked on ACC. If you've been listening to this podcast, you've probably heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But what you may not know is that Locked On ACC is a great way for your local business to reach passionate ACC fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with ACC fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome back to Locked On ACC, February 12th, 2020. Final segment of the program We've broken down some basketball stuff, and now I want to get into another kind of basketball-related story. This appeared earlier today from Madeline Coleman of the Daily Tar Heel, and I I wanted to mention that because of a couple of things. First of all, it's a really well-written story, and second, one of my bosses, Alex Zetlow, a buddy of the program, a Daily Tar Heel alum. But this story talks about commentary towards student-athletes. The headline... It's time to grow out of posting degrading comments on athletes' social media. The story says, Thus, technological advances have made life easier, to be sure, but the rise of social media has also fed a rapidly growing mental health problem. The American Journal of Preventative Medicine released a study in 2017 that analyzed the connection between social media and mental health in young adults. The most alarming statistic found was that those who view social media platforms at least 58 times per week, interesting number, were three times more likely to feel socially isolated compared to those who use social media nine times per week or fewer. In a world dominated by social media, apps that are designed to make people feel more connected might cause more harm than good. And it seems that media and fan scrutiny on these networking platforms also causes problems in sports for student-athletes. Tom Izzo, head coach of Michigan State's men's basketball team, took time out of his press conference following a loss to Penn State on February 4th to call out individuals that were abusing some of his players on social media, quoting, If there's any Michigan State people out there that are abusing some of my players on that freaking Twitter, I'm sick of it, Izzo said. If they are Michigan State fans, I'm more than happy to buy their tickets, and I mean that, close quote. The head coach later took it a step forward and added, quoting, I get paid a lot of money, so take your shots at me, close quote. Ahead of North Carolina's rivalry game against Duke on February 8th, the host of ESPN's College Game Day took a moment during its broadcast from Chapel Hill to discuss Izzo's remarks and the toxicity of social media in front of hundreds of college students. While many in the audience applauded as Jay Billis said people simply need to mute and block this type of behavior, other fans seemed to have forgotten the message behind the segment by that night. Quoting, these are all comments, Dude, you were snorting cocaine two days before the game. I should glass the sugar out of you. Again, you were the worst player ever to don a UNC uniform, absolute disgrace, and please transfer. She also points out some comments on Andrew Playtech's social media. Some of the comments include, Losing the game for us. Learn to hit free throws. I hate you. Effing pitiful. Yo, learn to shoot. 
Based on the remarks, she says, you probably wouldn't have known that Playtech, despite shooting 50% from the line and missing a few foul shots late, tied a season high with nine points that night, or that he had seven rebounds and five assists. Hate from fans has become a norm within the athletic world, and now that social media has boomed, others hide behind their screens to post damaging comments. Sometimes they scream at games, hoping for serious injury to players, like Zion Williamson during last year's UNC Duke game. People seem to forget that athletes are humans with real emotions and feelings just like everybody else. There's a student under that jersey, someone's kid, sibling, or friend. On top of competing on a national stage, hours of practice, treatment sessions, and team meetings, these student-athletes have class, homework, and exams to worry about. While some say it may be on athletes to ignore and block this hate, why should they have to? Is it not on fans to refrain from posting hateful, degrading comments for all the world to see? Society has never valued civility less than this moment, and social media is partly to blame. What once started as a great way to stay connected has turned into an enabler for toxic behavior, only exacerbating the mental health problem that plagues today's society. If you think this behavior is okay, it's time to grow up. First of all, well done. Nicely written story. This kind of goes back to the the conversation we were having earlier in last week about tweeting at recruits, how we tell people not to tweet at recruits and not to, you know, do those kinds of things in engaging athletes. Here's an idea. How about we just not tweet athletes or post on athletes' Instagrams, period? She's right. There are a lot of really, really sick people out there. There are a lot of people who want to blame one player or one play or whatever else for their team's failures, maybe missing a tournament, whatever it may be. But she's absolutely right. There's no need for us to consistently insult college kids, to rip college kids, to blame them for all of the ills of society and all the ills of their team's performance. I'll tell you right now, one one thing you will commonly hear in press rooms, and I've myself been guilty of it at times, at least thinking it, is thinking that one play or one sequence or one shot costs a team a game or wins a team a game. We have to be mindful of all 40 minutes that go into a game. And as has been mentioned, we have to be mindful of all the things that athletes are responsible for, aside from just putting on a uniform and taking the floor. I don't want to sound as though I'm telling you that you can't be upset with an athlete or that you can't be upset if your team doesn't win or something like that. We've been doing that since the dawn of time, but there's a line that you can't cross. Anybody remember the story from a couple of years ago about Penn State getting upset about having their players booed? I don't have the story in front of me, but that happened a couple of years ago and there was all the rage about, well, I'm paying all this money. Why can't I boo a collegiate player? You can, but should you? That's the question. You can post stuff on players' Instagram and on players' Twitter and whatever else, but should you? That's the question you should ask. Thus ends Locked on ACC for February 12th, 2020. There may be a program tomorrow. There may not. I'm covering a basketball game. Stay tuned. But either way, email us, tweet us, and until we meet again, this has been Locked on ACC. I'm Brian Wilmer. Thanks for joining us. Love you. Mean it. (laughs)